0: Well, good morning, how are we doing? Let's start here with Psalm 119, um, the sec- verses 121 through 128, the section t- subsection titled, I in. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant, give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments, above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. Father, we thank you so much once again for giving us this opportunity to study your word together um, as the people of God And we, um, we thank you so much That you've given your word to us um, That we might know better Both who you are, what you have done And what you continue to do And who we are called to be in your son We thank you We pray you bless our time here together In Christ's name we pray, amen Okay, so If we'll start off Move back here to page 9 in your handout. Normally the handouts aren't going to be sick going forward because today I was a little concerned. We'd have people here who hadn't had an opportunity yet to read ahead. But if you will, bring your books with you and try to work through the questions so we can kind of move through the material a little bit quicker. I really would like to talk less and have you guys engage more. Um, I know it's tough to do in a in a 30-minute in a time space with so much material to be covered, but we're studying this together, and I don't want it just to be one way, me up here, you know, lecturing all the time. Um, so, uh, but for the sake of today, we may have to do a little bit of that. I want to quickly work through the video questions, uh, ask a couple of questions along the way, and and pique your interest with some other things I brought with us. Uh, in the video questions, the first thing um, he mentioned was in Colossians three fifteen through 16 He asked, what two clauses does Miles emphasize? And um, the verse, I'll read it real quick. And, the, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, the thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so the two um, the two clauses are the Word of Christ and the peace of Christ. And he makes mention that this is a this is an important passage for him. He believes that we find the peace of Christ uh, largely due to the presence more and more of the Word of Christ dwelling in us. And um he asks what is a time in your life when a verse or a passage has done this for you and just in the past year even Is anyone? um, We don't have too many people. Got to go through the material. But anybody have an example of a time in your life when a verse or passage has done this for you, where you felt the peace of Christ as the Word dwelt in you? Okay, it'll happen. Trust me. All right. (laughs) Uh, I pray it happens. Right in my Bible as I'm reading. Oh wow! If I had done the homework earlier. I would have been able to help you there, but but that's. A, I encourage you to do that when I'm. Uh, Sometimes I'll underline a verse and I'll put the date and I'll say, you know, this was going on or this tragedy happened or. Wow. About this and it's amazing how that living word does exactly. This. I'm sorry about that. That's a great idea. I'm gonna start doing that. That's a great idea. It's almost yeah. That's a great idea. It's like you journal you're almost journaling right there as you go. Yeah. The second question here, he says, what is the story that is told twice in the Old Testament? Anybody find that interesting, the way he explained that? The Bible is a story told twice, it's told twice in the Old Testament. Uh, He says the Old Testament is a story or a narrative account told two times over from creation into sin, then into exile. I've always heard it often said, you know, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's kind of the narrative arc, let's say, of the Old Testament. And he says that this happens once in the book of Genesis itself, And then again from Exodus through Chronicles Um, he says what are some of the similarities each time and what are the differences between those two uh, broad accounts of that narrative arc Um, he says what are examples of pairs in the Bible did you anybody find that interesting when he pulled out uh, examples of the prevalence of pairs um, conceptual pairs he says it's uh, no, it's the Old Testament story or narrative told two times over because it's one of the things we're going to recognize is that oftentimes things appear in pairs in the Bible. He calls this the MVP rule of two. And um, he says this is how he teaches it to his students. There are two accounts of creation. There are two creations. The one we're in, the one we're going to be, the new creation. There are two worlds, the world before the flood, the world after the flood. two covenants, covenant of works, covenant of grace. And we're going to find out different administrations of the covenant of grace. He says there are two Adams. There are. Uh, he talks about the recurring cycle of two figures working together throughout redemptive history. For example, Moses and Joshua were a pair. David and Solomon were a pair. Elijah and Elisha were a pair. He um, says so there's the tip, the temple tabernacle. Stage one in the desert. Stage two as the temple was built. We have two temple, two two built temples, right? First temple of the second. Um, he says, uh, "What are some of the examples of pairs that you found while reading the, the text, um, and how the, and it give us an example of how noticing those the curse of pairs has helped you to understand the Bible?" I know those questions are a little bit vague, but I mean it kind of forces you to kind of consider the pairs that are there. Have you ever got, ever noticed? The occurrence of pairs, that kind of that duplex way in, in the scriptures. Have you ever noticed that? I thought that was interesting the way he pointed that out. Here on page ten, we get a question. Four says, "What illustration does Miles use to explain the idea that the Bible is God breathed?" I think right here he makes uh, his thesis known. It's a five-part thesis, and this is going to drive. The next several lessons okay he makes these points he says his thesis has five points it says um it's about the special nature of the old testament the old testament is god breathed it's a god breathed book it's therefore both living and active its human authors are guided by the spirit of christ who controlled its content delivery and preservation it has a theological center a unified thematic framework and a covenant structure this book is a Christian book, and it was written for Christians. And what we're going to find over the next few weeks, he's going to go through each of those points in summary fashion today in more detail as we go forward, and it will set the stage for the study of the rest of the books, all the books of the Old Testament. Um, and he's going to, uh, but he, makes, he takes the time, and I think it's a great thing to go through these things. He, brings, he points out the first thing here. He says, the first point is that the Old Testament is a God-breathed book, it says, it uh, references 2 Timothy three sixteen to 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I think that was especially good because he says he's making his argument here from scripture. And every one of these points, he is showing scriptural precedent for his position. He's arguing from the text. And I think that's a great thing um he makes some of the different english translations address that and he says what is something else that that in the bible that is god breathed what makes this a special book and he points out um humans right go back to the genesis account he said that's the difference between me he said the difference between the bible and any other book is the difference between us and dirt it's the special it's a special um the breath of god it's a the, the book is a God-breathed book. It's living and active. It's alive. He mentions the text in Genesis 2, 7 And then moving on to the second point, question five. It says, why does Miles say that the verses like Hebrews 4 12, 1 Peter 1 23 to 25, when they were written, it says they were written uh, referring they were referring to the old testament uh only and not to the new. Um he says because the Bible has a special status, we can argue for this thesis. Um, the Word of God is living and life-giving. In Hebrews 4.12, the author says, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of men, or attitudes of the heart. It's not a dead book. It's not just words on a page. It's got a living force behind it. And He mentions 1 Peter 23-25. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God, for all people like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field, the grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word that was preached to you, and every time uh, every Sunday Rev uh, uses that, and I think about it you know often it's a powerful verse, it says so much, right, and it put, gives us a right sense. Of appreciation for the text this is God's Word it's breathed it's like in the Ten Commandments it's like in, uh, when we notice God spoke directly to the people um, it's in the book of Genesis we saw 10 last week 10 times as and God said it from the beginning he spoke um, and things happen um, he also talks uh, here on the top of page 11 we we'll move on, he says that it's uh, the, the Old Testament, the Bible says it's a life-giving nature in Psalm nineteen seven. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving. Bra- he brackets here, I bracket here, giving life to, giving life to the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And in Psalm 119, which we've covered in, in, uh, during, the Old Test- uh, during the Ten Commandments series, uh, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. So it's a the Old Testament is a God-breathed book, therefore it's both living and active. And this is what the New Testament is saying about the Old Testament. Okay. Uh, question six: What does Miles mean when he says that God is the author of the Bible? We've heard it said before. Probably, he had the big A author, the little A author. Um, he mentions that uh, this is the apostolic witness. This is what the uh, the apostles were witnessing to, testifying to in the New Testament. Uh, writings is that um, is the person of work of Christ is viewed through the lens of the Old Testament, points to this number three issue uh, <clears throat> that um, the human authors were guided by the Spirit of Christ who controlled both the content, delivery, and preservation of the text. No apostle, or no prophet or apostle ever wrote by their own will or strength. They wrote according to the Spirit of Christ that was in them. Um, he mentions here First Peter 1, 10 through 12. Um, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told by those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And the angels long to look into these things. You notice right there in the middle, I put uh, the sufferings of Christ in red and the glories that would follow in purple. Okay? So kind of hold your place, if you would, and move over here to chapter or to page 5. So we're, we're listening to what Peter is writing here, right? <clears throat> we're listening to what Peter is writing. But I want to show you an example of this, uh, how it's played out, um, just to kind of pique your interest, okay, for going forward. What you'll see there, the red, the sufferings of Christ, and then the purple, the glories that would follow, that is shorthand for what you're going to see over and over in the New Testament. It's called the humiliation-exaltation scheme, okay? Okay. New Testament writers in Acts and Luke, um, in, in in Paul, and you're gonna see right here in Paul, right, are saying it's a shorthand verse, a shorthand way of explaining the gospel humiliation exaltation scheme. Once I show this to you, you're probably gonna start seeing it all over the place in the New Testament, and it's a, it's a neat thing. This is a really small text. I apologize for that. It's maybe hard to see, but what you're looking at is verses one through seven of romans 1. it's the introduction to the book of romans it's one long sentence and it has like all of paul's introductions very distinct units or parts it's got the you know the basically the first um little bit here in 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 the first verse is from paul and you can follow basically you can follow if you look at the kind of color schemes what this is is breaking down the verse okay into clauses and phrases and it's showing you the relationship between the clauses and phrases so you can see the hierarchical order of the text, okay? Because the text has structure to it and the structure can conveys meaning. And this is an example of what you're gonna see both in, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament as well. And so there's basically three things. You can follow this from the green line, Paul, skip down to the bottom to the green line, to all, um, and then to the final dark green line, grace and peace, from to blessing from to greeting, see? There's three main parts. If you go back up to the top and you say, okay, Paul, a slave of Christ, Paul, called to be an apostle, Paul, set apart. There's three subsections under that heading, okay? Then it's set apart for the gospel of God, that dark blue section in the middle. Everything under that, all the way down to the dark green line, is part of that central unit. And notice what he's done. For the gospel of God, A, which was promised previously, B, through the prophets, C, <clears throat> uh, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. He's speaking about the Old Testament. This is what he, he just said. This is what Paul was saying. Um, he was, and Paul was in Rome, right? And this is the letter to the Romans. And this, guess what he does? In the very introduction, in the very first sentence, he says not only, hey, I'm Paul, Uh, This is who I am, uh, addresses the audience too and says, hey, here's the greeting. He is putting this in the center of this, okay? He says, for the gospel of God. What about the gospel of God? Well, we got three things here. Uh, If you'll follow the light blue, concerning his son. So it's the gospel of God, uh, the gospel of God, concerning his son, the next blue line below, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, you can follow this at whatever level and it's purposely designed so that it brackets what he's wanting to focus upon. And if you look above, between the two light blue lines, you see a red section and a purple section. Guess what we have in the very center of the gospel? Paul is structurally showing us who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Humiliation. Who was raised, delivered, who was declared the Son of God in power according to the, um, the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Exaltation. Humiliation, exaltation. Structurally in the center of his proclamation of the gospel in the very first sentence to the opening of the book of Romans. And if you look over here in the text we just talked about, that's exactly what he's saying Paul did for two years. And he is, by. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. And then he talks about, um, uh, the orange section there uh, explains more about who Christ is. But it's structural. Do you you guys see that? There's a design to it. He's being intentional. He's focusing upon this. And you're going to find this is just one example of many. I want to bring it just to kind of pique your interest in how we read the Bible. Um, So back over to page 11. We'll move on to um, uh, right there in the middle of the page. Let's say Peter saying... The Old Testament is talking about the Spirit of Christ in them. He's looking forward to the time when Christ would suffer and turn to glory. If we don't get that out of the Old Testament, we're missing the apostolic marker. We've got to aim our arrows in the right direction. right? That's what he's saying, and Paul makes it so clear just right there in the beginning of Romans. What is the theological center of the Old Testament? Question 7. He says that the, the Old Testament is a theological center, a unified framework, and a covenantal structure. Um is this is he's talking about here he says kind of going back to the text we just saw paul's in rome he's going to be there for two years he's teaching day and night luke is writing about his ministry right and he's summarizing what paul is saying right that text we just read let's see what he said luke says about it like so luke's with him what does luke say luke says they arranged to meet paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he had to say. Others would not believe. So he's speaking to them, testifying to the kingdom of God, convincing them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Um, So he's doing two things. He's saying what his message is, and what the source of that message is. It's the Old Testament scriptures, right? So that's just another example. You can also look for the humiliation exaltation scheme and how it ties into this same uh, concept. I put a, a Philippians 2, 5 through 11 and Acts 2, verses 23 to 24, you'll see the same thing. Um, he, speak, he mentions what is the, the, um, what is the, the uh, thematic framework of the Bible? says as the theological center is going to be Christ the thematic framework is the concept of the kingdom of God the law of Moses and the prophets are going to represent a covenant structure so those three things kind of give you a big picture perspective of how the Old Testament is put together Um, he says think about everything in the Old Testament you've got temples tabernacles priests prophets kings you've got war famine exodus exile you got things like the stipulations You've got poetry, Song of Songs, genealogies. There's a lot of textual diversity, right? Um, but it only, makes light, it, and, and it only makes sense in light of the personal work of Jesus. It's all geared towards showing us who's coming and what he's going to do for his people. Jesus is the theological center of the entire text, both of the Old Testament and the New. He says number, in question nine, what is the overall structure of the Bible? The thematic framework is not a center thing it's a framework that encompasses the whole every theme motif every institution in the bible especially in the old testament it's a kingdom of god theme prophet he's a kingdom of god official priest he's a kingdom of god official king kingdom of god official judge the same covenant mediator kingdom of god official the creation account he's creating the kingdom of god you've got the two kingdoms you've got the realm with the visible and the invisible right every theme in the bible makes sense underneath that one macro theme so you've got a center that ties it all together and anchors it but you've also got this external rubric of the kingdom of god that makes sense of what centers the king of the kingdom and it's holding all this thing he says it's a royal thing and the covenant structure it's his canonical words so not only does the word itself the way it is structured in the hebrew bible not in the english translations of the hebrew bible the way the bible we're going to find that in future lessons how the divisions of the of the books of the Old Testament in the English Bible the same books are there but they're organized differently and there's and and there's a reason why the Old Testament was structured in the Hebrew text the way it was structured okay it's structured covenantally it's not only a covenant God's covenant word but he conveys it covenantally and it was structured and written to be in, in ordered and, or and arranged in a fashion that communicates the covenant itself and we're going to find that out so the structure the organization of the canon itself the way the books are arranged and grouped together and the content of the books as well are covenantal and that's my design Um, we'll move on here to page 13. Question 10, in order to understand the different books of the Bible, why is it important to know the original audience, who it was, and what the author's original intent was? He gives a couple of texts here, Romans 15, 4 and 1 Corinthians 10. Um, I think what I want to say here, um, I can, I'll say, I'm I'll i going to address this question in just a minute. Um but the Romans 15, 4 text, for everything that was written in the past, in the Old Testament scriptures is what he's talking about, okay, was written to teach us so that the endurance, um, the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide that we might have hope. Um, and then in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, these things, the wilderness rebellion and the judgments, happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. For us, and he's speaking at this point to the New Testament church. So these things were written down for us, and then we move down here at the bottom. What does Miles mean when he says the Bible is written for us, but not uh, about us? Uh, he he mentions the "Where's Waldo" approach. Like most, a lot of people, unfortunately, will read the Bible, and they'll they'll like it's like the book "Where's Waldo," and every page you're looking for where they're at. And uh, you know, I, probably the best quote I've heard from this if you'll turn over here to page two in your packet i'd encourage you to read this a quote from tim keller it's from a 2007 uh, the gospel coalition conference Um, it says jesus is the true and better adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us jesus is the true and better Abel." And he gives a reason for all of these. He's the true and better Adam, the true and better Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rock of Moses, Job, David, Esther, Jonah. He is the real Rock of Moses and the real Passover lamb. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible's really not about you. It's about him. All of these Old Testament types, all of these Old Testament institutions, they are all pointing to both the person and work of Christ and they are fulfilled by him in the New Testament. And I think that's what one of the things we're gonna find. Christ is on all throughout the Old Testament. This story that's told twice over is rich and it's deep. Um, the Old Testament text is deep water and we need to learn to swim in it. Uh, on page three, you're gonna see a uh, page and a half. This is just an example, and you guys can read this on your own. Jason DeRoshi is a professor at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City. He wrote this as just a real quick 10-minute t- uh precursor where he touches on the basic meaning of all the books of the Old Testament. And he did this with no helps. So he just stood up and, and said it in 10 minutes. He has a he has a, of course, he's a professor of Old Testament studies, but he also He's showing you a way to understand, uh, in your own mind and heart, how to make sense and organize and structure to have a familiar familiarity with the Old Testament text. Now, finally, I wanna move over here to page six and I'm gonna close this out real quick. Um, you're gonna see just a real 10,000 foot level structural diagram of the arrangement of the books of the, of the Pentateuch. Um, that's just to kind of give you a, a, your sen- a sense of bearing uh, so you kind of see how the texts are how the, how the books are broken down conceptually that 's a real summary uh, outline um, Last week, I talked about kind of the the narrative arc of of uh, Genesis. He mentioned it here today i won 't kind of go over that first part again, but I think it 's good to kind of familiarize yourself with the basic parts, the basic divisions uh, thematic divisions of the books of the of the took and then here on page um, seven. Um, what I did here is, I wanted, I wanted to say there's several people in the church who are going through um, the Bible recap and, and, and it's a great thing, I want to encourage you to do that, okay? Uh, you need to be in the text, you need to uh, listen to people reflect on the text, you need to meditate on the text. That is uh, devotional reading, you also, we need to do this together in community, this is it's vital and we need to be able to structure, we need to be able to, to, to study it more strategically and more technically, and to have a better grasp of the way we need both, right? Air war, ground war, bubble up, trickle down. We've got to, we've got to immerse ourselves in God's word. And um, and what this shows you is, it takes that structure I had over here for just the book of Genesis, and it places it over here, and it shows you next to that the internal literary structure of the text. how it's divided into ten toledotes or ten sections. We'll get into this when we get into Genesis. But then what you see is you see all of the pericopes, the way that they're defined by the ESV. And that level of detail that's in there, there's structure inside of that that you don't see. So one of the things you wanna be careful when you read through uh, a a study that's uh, you know, like the Bible recap, is where you are in terms of the the structure of the text. Because those things aren't designed or structured or divided that way. They're based upon time. It's gonna take you three and a half hours to read the book of Genesis on average. Okay? Um, and then this final thing, on cha- here on page eight, we talk about structure and meaning. Um, the Bible is a grand symphony, and it's being broadcast on multiple frequencies. Okay? And, and we need to tune our antennas into it. When we see biblical themes and motifs and concepts, that are in seed form early in the book of Genesis, and they develop and grow over the over the course of the text of the narrative of the text as it progresses through the Old Testament, they get louder and louder, and those themes become more and more and they're intertwined and Once we hear a little thing, it should be like a almost like a dog whistle, and it cues our attention these things are it's a symphony, and it's being broadcast on multiple frequencies, every theme, every motif and we sometimes we don't we don't listen to it or read it in stereo, and we need to learn to do that. Um, it's, a, it's a grand meta narrative. He says it's Christopanic. It's focused on the central theme, the kingdom of God. It's organized in a covenantal structure. It's Christotelic, meaning it's all moving towards to, it, it, the whole movement from seed to final form is moving towards an understanding of who Christ is. And it's also Christocentric, it's focused upon Him. And um, we'll talk more about the literary. Um, characteristics of the text and how to, to treat each one properly as we go on. I know that was a lot. I pray that you would uh, continue on in this. In this. I'm going to encourage you and challenge you to keep up with this study. You're going to learn much and we've got much to learn and it's good stuff. And uh, I'm gra- I'm grateful that you're here. So I'm gonna end this up. I'll bring the books next week as well. Um, Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this time. This, uh, we just pray that you would lift us up, encourage us as we lean into your word, give us the... Um, The discipline and love and desire to read your word, to know who you are, who we are called to be in Christ. We love you. We thank you for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.